We're going to take a few minutes here, folks, and uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. I'll, I'll be as brief as I can. Actually, there's a question that's being played out here. We took a lot of time with Evan and Rochelle, and uh, we took very seriously, we have taken very seriously, what happens this weekend. And in all of this dynamic that is going on, we're all asking the same question. Can we count on them? See, we're asking the question, we've seen them up here, we've seen the ministry of music, they've been with our kids. The question we have is, can we count on them to teach Scripture to our young people in the context of a world that is becoming less and less friendly to the light of the gospel? Can we count on them to bring the giftedness in which, in which Evan is trained to bring that to bear upon worship ministry that will enable us to move to the next place God wants us to move to so that we can offer worship pleasing to Him. Can we count on them to love us? We're asking those questions. We might be haven't fashioned them in that way, but it's what's behind all of this talking and evaluating and listening is going on. And they're asking the same questions. Evan and Rochelle are asking about us. Can we, Evan and Rochelle, count on them to free us up to minister to youth, to feed them the Word of God, according to our giftedness? Are they open to something changing, if need be? Because this is how God has wired them, and this is the ministry they've been called to, and how they will be most effective with kids. They're asking, can we count on them, them being us, the church, if we try and bring something new, a new element to worship... Are we just going to hear? We don't do it that way around here. What's wrong with you? It's been fine for the last 25 years. Why change it now? That's the question they're wondering. And perhaps most importantly, they will be asking, can we, Evan and Rochelle, count on them, the New Fold and Evangelical Free Church, to love us? The writer to the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are beginning to, at least some within the group, are asking a question as to whether or not it's worth it to stick with their service for Jesus Christ. Can we count on God that these difficult times we are going through, which cause us to question things, can we count on God that this is all going to be worth it in the end? If you've been with us through this study, which we began last September and we're continuing on, we have noted that in the early part of the book, woven throughout the magnificent exaltation of Jesus Christ, are these repeated 
challenges to go on in our walk with him. Not to turn around and turn back, but to go on to the full commitment. Give it all out there. Lay it all there. Put all your trust in him. Go on to the full end of what God wants to do. And after, towards the second half of chapter 10, those kinds of exhortations are going to come back into the text. But for four chapters, the second half of chapter 6 through the first half of chapter 10, the writer to Hebrews is focused ever so directly on the magnificence of who Jesus Christ is and why we can absolutely count on Him and why there's never reason enough to turn away but always reason enough to go in to the fullness of what God has for us. We saw last week, because we only got halfway through our outline last week, we saw last week that Christ is the minister of the true tabernacle. What, did, what do we mean by that? Well, there's a contrast being drawn in these chapters, a constant contrast being drawn between the tabernacle, a tent of meeting, and we will see it in much clearer picture uh, starting next week, this tent of meeting that was built during Moses' day, that was physical. They carried it around with them. There was a priesthood that was identified with it. And what we saw last week is that is only a mock-up of the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. When Moses was given the plans for that tabernacle, God showed him in some way. He showed him a pattern from heaven, and that's the true tabernacle. And Jesus Christ is the minister of the true tabernacle tabernacle, the one in heaven. That's what we saw last week. Today, as we continue on with the text, and I want to pick it up, I think, in verse 6, because verse 6 serves both sides of this thing. I want to pick it up in verse 6. What we're going to see, you'll pick it up, is Christ is the mediator of a transformative covenant. So he's he's uh, he's the better priesthood, all right? And it's a better covenant. And these are the things which God says you can stake your life on it entirely because I have committed myself to these things. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 8. I want to pick up in verse 6. But now he, Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry in this context of his ministry within the true tabernacle inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. There was a covenant, an agreement made, as God had Moses established the, the, uh, the earthly tabernacle. There was this agreement where God said to them, basically, look, if you will walk with me, I will bless you. But if you turn from me, I cannot continue to bless you until you return to me. And that's what, that was the promises that were identified with that with that tabernacle. And now there's a covenant, this agreement, which is based upon better promises, and we're going to see those here. That's what I want us to get to. For if that first covenant had been faultless, the one identified with the mock-up tabernacle, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. What's the second covenant, the one identified we're going to learn about now? 
with the true tabernacle in heaven. Are you with me? There's this contrast being drawn repeatedly through here. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. A new covenant. He's going to establish something different, something that is going to be set apart from or replacing this first covenant of this earthly tabernacle. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That's how we know this is the covenant we're talking about. He's identifying that all took place at that same time, right? Moses was called, lead the people out of Egypt. He was given the plans for the tabernacle. He was given the covenant that they were to enter into. And he says, all taking place at that time. But he says, but because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. See, God gave them these instructions, and he said, walk in my ways, I can bless you. And they said, yeah, everything that God says, we're going to do it all. You can count on us, God. We're just finishing up the study in Second Kings. We've, been, we've, been, we've followed right, the history of Israel right on through from the Exodus, from this time frame. Okay? And those who have been in this study, we're almost getting tired of, of this thing. <laughs> Always turning away. Always. They turned away again. They turned away again. They turned away again. They turned away again. That's what they did. Regardless of what they said they were going to do. And in light of that, God says he disregarded them. Because he could not bless them while they walked in rebellion to him. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The covenant identified with the true tabernacle. The tabernacle of whom Christ is the high priest. The superior high priest. Notice this promise. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So here's the contrast between the two covenants, friends. Within the first covenant, God says you've got to obey me you got to do what I tell you to do. And they said, we will do it. And then they didn't do it. And God had to bring severe discipline upon them. Okay, that's the first covenant. Within the second covenant, God said, we're going to go about this one a little different now. Because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished, it isn't simply a matter of my demanding that you obey me. He said, I'm going to make a change inside of you. I'm going to begin to do a work by my spirit as you respond to this thing called the gospel and the good news that, that comes to us through what our high priest has done as, as a priest of the, of the true tabernacle that now I can do something transformative to you that was not a part of the first covenant. You see, friends, that is the very heart of the message that we bring. The very heart is transformation. When Jesus said, you must be born again, he wasn't kidding. 
See, in the old covenant, God could tell us, God could tell me forever, hey, you got to do this, this, and this. I go, sure, God, I got to do that. Right? I can't live up to that. I cannot meet that standard. And it is frustrating and it is defeating to be in that place when you know I can't do it. And I've told you this before on occasion. That frustration led to my, and Rochelle, this is true, and the first campus for Oakton Community College. We are alumni of the same college. You need to know that, okay? In my mind, I recall walking through a door and God is wrestling with me. And I knew I wasn't living up to the standards that he was asking. And I hadn't come to understand the grace that he was trying to draw me to. And I thought this whole church experience was still the thing that it's about. You just got to do it right. Or man, God will knock you alongside the head and be ready to get rid of you. And in my mind, figuratively, I saw myself shaking my fists at the heavens and saying, God, I cannot do this anymore. And I would rather live the life I want to live and go to hell than try and live under this guilt. I didn't understand at the time what God was doing. He was drawing me into the light of what he's already done for me. Because he transforms us so that now it isn't something in our own strength. We try and grit our teeth and say, I'm going to be a better person. I find myself far more than gritting my teeth saying, I'm going to be a better person, saying, Lord, I blew it again. And here I am again asking you, this area in my life seems to keep coming up that I got this problem and I need you to transform me into Christ-likeness. That's my hope. See, that's one of the promises, friends. Remember the, promi- the, the, the new covenant based upon better promises? The better promise is God's going to change me into Christ-likeness rather than just say you, you need to meet this standard. Now, there was a purpose in all of that. We won't go into that now. We titled this little series, this part of of our study in Hebrews, the best materials for building confidence. The best materials for building confidence are this, what God is doing through his son as the high priest of the true tabernacle that he then works in us, a transforming work to make us like Christ and we live from that new place. Oh, my friends, all right, if you're at a place as I was at Oakton Community College, say, Lord, I've, I've been trying to do this church thing. It ain't working for me. I've been trying to be a better person. It ain't working for me. And I think I'm about at a place now I'm going to go find something different than this whole Jesus thing. The writer of the Hebrews say, no, friend, that's not what we do. So you're at this place where a real decision needs to be made. And rather than turning and running away from the things of God, Hebrew says, go deeper. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Be in God's presence. And go deeper. And you hang on to the end because He will not let you down. And He will bring you through this difficult time. But the answer is not in turning around and running. The answer is falling on our knees yet once again before Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, 
I need your transforming work in me. And God is faithful to do that. We enjoy the new covenant, which is a transformative experience. And God is delighted to do that work. Oh, my friends, Hebrews is telling us, keep moving forward. Will you receive that word today? Keep moving forward. I don't know what pain you're in today. I don't know what frustrations. I don't know what difficulties. But move forward with Jesus Christ. And God will be revealing himself to you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the magnificence of these promises that you are changing us, Lord. Because we are desperately, desperately in need of change. We are broken to the very core, Lord. And as we, as we are, some of us here today, I believe, Lord, we're just, we're just struggling. Do I stay with this? Do I turn from it? I pray you strengthen our hearts to, to seek you, to come into the fullness of all that you have for us, Father, because we confess it is only in Jesus Christ, nowhere else, that we will ever find true joy and true wholeness. Hold us tight, Lord. Draw us to yourself. We yield ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.